guys, just guys, the top three moments are just the best. Show me your feelings and listen to the Encut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 71, and my name's Jack. And my name's Nick. And today we're also joined by our good buddy Randy. How are you, Randy? Good. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. And this is not the end of in, in, introdu- introductions. This is something that's been on the cards for a while. We've been talking behind the scenes with Nick for a while. It's not. It wasn't a. a, a, a this, they weren't discussions of like, should we do it or should we not do it? <laughs> it was. It was discussions of like, when should we do it? When should we do it? So so it so so it so it feels great. And then the answer is, we should probably do it asap. So, Randy here has been with us since the very beginning. I don't know when when I don't know. It was, it was very early on when you got in touch as a as a fan almost like sending an email like I with with a wall of text of like here's what I think about this film. And then we were just like, yeah, that's that, that's great. And so <laughs> I don't know when this was. Was it uh the first episode it? I think I listened to was when I forget which it was the uh the three burials uh all right. That was the first episode I listened to, but I think you guys were shooting, you guys were recording episode six or so. That's about how far into the life of the podcast you were around episode so, six. So last March sometime. So so last March sometimes. So Randy's been with us at first as a, as a listener and an active listener. It was, it was so great. And then we got you on the show. I think it was Prince of Darkness. Yeah, yeah, was the first episode, and Nick, you weren't there, which was which was weird for some reason. I missed like the first two times that you came on. Is Black Hat, you were there. No, you weren't. Yeah, there. I wasn't there. He wasn't there for Black Hat either. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and and nowadays, as you may have may 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 have may have noticed, Randy has been with us more and more frequently, and we just thought, you know, we're having these discussions with you. We're we're having and it feels right. It feels like we're, you know, like this is this is it. This is it. So here here's the here's the here's the, the here's the thing. Nick, I don't know, how do we do this? So from now on, this is not a two person two person household. This is a this is a three host show. So Randy's now a permanent mic in on Uncut Gems. So you know a warm welcome to the family <laughs> to, round of applause to, to our commune <laughs> uh, guys thank you very much i've i've told this to you individually in the past but uh, this this podcast was really a special and important thing to me last year when i needed something to listen to and needed a bit of a an escape for my afternoon walks on my lunch breaks from work and i stumbled across you guys and i really enjoyed uh the camaraderie that was apparent on the show. I enjoyed the ways you talk about movies, um, the, the history, the thematics, you had fun doing it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I just, what I was hooked. And, uh, the fact that you were so kind to spit back some emails when I would throw them in, like it's, yeah, it's been sort of a special experience just following your guys' adventure and following the show. And for me to be invited by you guys is absolutely, 
um, a very special thing to me. So thank you very much for having me on board. And I'm, you know, clear. I'm so happy that my uh, vetting process cleared the final phase. And there are certain people that you didn't get to talk to that might have raised suspicion, but I'm here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, wow. We so now and then there were, and then and then there were three. It kind of feels like almost like the history of 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 our sort of relationships and friendships kind of developing in here. It's kind of like this one is kind of like remember the film Rockstar about um, the guy who uh, auditioned to uh, to to be <laughs> the singer of Judas Priest. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Uh, I never saw it, right? But that's oh, the Wahlberg like, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of feel, no. That's just now. So. D- going forward now now you can expect that you know like there's going to be three of us on on all episodes unless someone takes a day off because now taking a day off is easier because there's always two of us left uh so so we don't have to kill ourselves like we did over like in march and april trying to plan for a two-week break which is ridiculous anyway so enough enough of the tears oh enough with the tears (laughs) (laughs) uh so get let's get to business shall we so today we're continuing our shapeshifters body snatchers situation and in fact we were supposed to be culminating our shapeshifters and body snatchers situation with this episode because it's tied into the 40th anniversary of the thing because we're talking about the 2011 the thing but we have a we're we're going to have a guest over for another episode that was supposed to be in the the, part of the series but you know we have we have to move things around so here we are anyway so today we're talking about the the thing from 2011, which is tied to the bonus tie-in episode that's going to be released next week uh, on our Patreon. And this episode is going to be for free, available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. In its entirety, you'll be able to listen to our conversation about John Carpenter's 1982 The Thing, which we just recorded, by the way. So um, it's going to be amazing. To listen i'm just gonna say that and say it out loud and then also on our patreon in june there's gonna be a mini retrospective on sergio corbucci and ennio morricone collaborations which are we chose three there were, there were more than three right yes it's quite <laughs> like a few five or six a, i want to say like five or six but we're talking about navajo joe the mercenary and the great silence or il grande silencio um and uh, and also we're going to be talking. This is probably the most important uh, part of our of our um, David Lynch marathon happens this month because we will be talking about arguably his magnum opus, according to many people. I think the thing that put him on a, on on the popular map, I think, we'll be talking Twin Peaks. Uh, so that's going to be released as well, and I think we're, we're planning to do it in two episodes, as in one for each season, because the return is going to happen. A little bit later in the year. Anyway, so enough chit chat. Patreon.com slash Uncut Gems Pod is the place where you want to go to listen to our other bonus recordings. That are in addition to our regular show, which is available everywhere. And then let's just get on with, with the business of the day, which is the 2011 The Thing. This thing can and probably has replicated a person. Okay, okay, Kate, Kate, okay, Kate. This is not the time to be yelling fire. Let's stop, gather our thoughts, and discuss this in private. We don't need any private meetings, Doctor. We all want information. There's more. 
What are those? I think they're fillings from someone's teeth. I found them by a puddle of blood in the shower. Puddle of blood? It can clone cells, but not inorganic material. It couldn't copy these, so it spit them out. We wasted too much time already. Losh! Listen! When I went back to check it, someone had cleaned up the blood. Someone had wiped it away. All right, so whatever it is, it is still here. Okay, written by Eric Heiserer. I'm, I'm sorry in advance. There's going to be some butchering of names going on. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the Eric Heiserer, he also wrote The Nightmare on M Street remake final destination 5 arrival bird box and bloodshot so Jesus. a good spread and directed by matthias von heiningen who did not do a whole lot <laughs> he did the thing and i don't know what else uh the, the thing functions as a direct prequel to john carpenter's the thing from 1982 and recounts the story of what happened at the Norwegian base. So if you know you're the thing, then you know that there's a Norwegian base and it's kind of abandoned and stuff happened to it. So uh, the film stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Joel Edgerton, Adewale Akinwe Abadje. I think I'm trying my best. I'm sorry. And a bunch of Norwegians as well. <laughs> One of whom I recognized. Christopher Heview, I think his name is there, whom I recognize from Ruben Oslund's Force Majeure. But most people will probably remember him from Game of Thrones as he was, um, let me just, I wrote this down, Tormund Giantsbane, which is uh, the chief of the wildlings. So the big ginger guy with a massive beard and curly hair. Hard to forget. Anyway, the movie, the movie is about an American paleontologist, paleontologist, fuck, American paleontologist recruited to join a Norwegian expedition who found this ancient spaceship dug into the ice as well as the survivor frozen in ice as well. And the rest is history because you kind of know where the th story is going if you ever saw John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm saying The Thing a lot and I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Hi, I'm Jakob and I'm doing well. Thanks. Where's my, where's my antidepressants? <sighs> anyway, <laughs> the film was developed right after the Dawn of the Dead remake was well received i think because that was also a universal picture and then producers were like what else can we remake <laughs> and then they found guys we have the thing on the books how about we do this and then they realized it will be inappropriate to do this so let's not remake this so they they tried to find a way to capitalize on the thing and then they just they thought there would be an interesting idea to do a prequel uh sort of as from the left behind assorted bits of world building uh, that you can find in the original film. So that's how they kind of did it. They just went through a fine tooth comb through frame by frame by John Carpenter's film and they tried to piece together what happened in the Norwegian base and build a story around it, more or less. Uh, how this turned out, we'll find out in a second. Anyway, so it, technically it functions as a companion piece to the thing. It wasn't the most sort of successful film when it was released, I don't think. Um, let me just quickly double check. No, it bombed $31 million <laughs> on, 38, on a $38 million budget. Yeah. And um, I think it was also received by critics rather un, rather unpleasantly, which, you know, the original the thing wasn't, wasn't also received very well, so... It's going to be a cult classic in 30 years. I'm telling you that much. <laughs> Probably. It <won't>. may be. 
Well, in 67 will be like guys do you remember this oh like no <laughs> um anyway so what do you guys think of the 2011 prequel slash companion piece slash stealth remake of the thing who wants to go first i can go first with this one go first uh, i hate this movie says nick just the most pathetic excuse. No, guys, it's it's we're making a prequel. It's not a remake. It's very different. No, it's the same fucking movie that we've seen in 1982. <laughs> this is garbage, as the French would say. Do you uh, think they um, really say garbage? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is garbage. <laughs> Peace de garbage. Um, no, just oh. oh. We've said it many times before, there's no worse crime with a movie, especially a genre film, than being boring. This film is boring. We have talked about The Thing, and I don't want to draw too many comparisons because there's a whole episode that's coming out on The Thing. But I will just say, this has the worst possible pacing I've seen in a horror film <laughs> this year. It's, it's constantly like throwing things at you, trying to replicate the original, but also trying to cater to modern audiences with constant jump scares, with too much dialogue that you don't need, too many characters that you don't care about, but it's trying to make you care about them. Um, some of the most horrendous CGI, I knew this is infamous for for having the the puppeteers and like a special effects guy on set just creating animatronics and then the studio was like oh it's, it's not scary enough let's just add more cgi to the point that it's just cgi sometimes and there's barely anything practical i knew it was going to be bad <laughs> but this reaches places like oh my god this is a borderline unwatchable with its effects um i think horror prequels in general don't work there are probably like three or four instances where it does work. I want to say like the <coughs> Prometheus. Sorry, Prometheus <laughs> and and Alien. Um, not not uh, what's the not Isolation. What's the name of the Alien movie? Uh, Alien uh, Covenant. Covenant. That's the one. <laughs> Alien Covenant. Uh, Fire Walk with Me works great. Uh, Ouija. Uh, maybe Paul Schrader's Exorcist prequel, maybe. But then again, they barely ever work. And there's a reason why, because it removes a lot of the tension. They always have to go for like, oh, either we explain Hannibal the mystery. Rising. Sorry. Uh, I haven't seen that one. I cannot say. It's, but, it's dog shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. Look, it, it's a prequel. You lose some of the mystery. You have to explain things or you end up just making a remake and that's 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 what it is this is a remake that's disguising itself as a as a prequel that has nothing new to add to the story and that is just so boring and what's more frustrating is that there are good things about this we'll get into it it's not without merit but there's just so little to latch on to. Like, I was yawning. This is 10 minutes shorter than the 1982 original, and it felt twice as long. Wow. Wow. <laughs> How do Very you positive from the sound? Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> before I jump on to uh, my immediate response to that, um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the time the film came out, because I, I find it was sort of an interesting period with horror films in the early 2000s. I think that horror was a genre that needed reinvention and we saw Again. that in the 2000s <laughs> and we had things like found footage and torture porn and then there were a number of uh remakes and the remakes often were 
gritty in nature. So I think like the crazies and house of wax and, you know, Dawn of the dead Hills have eyes, um, Rob zombies, Halloween. So there was, and the Texas chainsaw massacre, I think 2003. So there, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot happening in terms of horror. And I think remaking the thing made sense commercially because you know there were some successes out there not all of them were but texas chainsaw massacre massacre was huge amityville horror was huge dawn of the dead was huge hills have eyes um that was huge so a lot of those films uh turned into what we see as the blumhouse model now where you've got 15 million or less uh the film uh is made on that type of a budget and is released probably in theaters and makes that amount of money on its open weekend, opening weekend. So that is happening. So the thing makes sense commercially. And so the $30 million budget probably seems somewhat, uh, you know, reasonable. Um, however, it doesn't totally work, but I will say in contrast to Nick, I don't find it a hateful effort at all. I don't find that it's a total dud. I think it's a completely middle of the line type of effort. If I was unfamiliar with the other, uh, the original thing, I think this sort of works for me and it's a perfectly, uh, you know, middling type of affair. I think it's interesting that they didn't go with extra grit and extra grime and, you know, the, the torture porn elements like Texas Chainsaw Massacre did, Massacre did. It's not sort of piggybacking off of like the Saw aesthetic. What it's doing, I find, is it's paying homage. And I find it's somewhat of a caring homage to the way that the original thing was made. And it's doing in the context of the script being, you know, a, a prequel. Uh, but yes, you're right. It, in essence, it's, you know, a, a remake. Um, but I, I find that there's a choice made not to go down the very avenues that other horror films are at the time. And they're going to go down the avenue, the avenue of, uh, you know, caringly honoring what the original is rather than completely remaking it. So it's a copy of a good film. So as a, as a copy, it's, you know, nowhere near the quality of the original. Um, but I, I still think it's, it's all right. And if not pretty good. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Oh, I will say it does have a lulling quality. So, you know, your yawns and getting sleepy. Uh, I, I certainly uh, agree with that. You didn't nod off. <laughs> I did. No comments. I, I, I paused. <laughs> had a power nap and got up and wa- finished watching. <laughs> oh, nice. At like the 15 minute tactical. mark. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this. I haven't seen this before. That was the first time I saw it, by the way. Same. So it's not, so, yeah, same here. So for me, it was an opportunity to, to catch up with it. So I, I wasn't ex- exactly sure what I was getting into. But I'm now nowhere near the level of hate. I think the, the, the worst thing I could say about this, I think, and I agree with this, is the fact that it's a very unmemorable in terms of like I'm I I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm just like I don't think I have my top 3 list because I don't know what to pick because it's not very memorable. Uh so so that's the sort of biggest sin of this film is just it just kind of straddles the the middle of the road and never kind of commits to anything risque. It's just However, having said that, I will say I will say this. As someone 
who looks at the thing, maybe not to the level as like the proper the thing nerds do, because there are people out there who really obsess over shit like, you know, what what's the biology of this of this of this creature? What's the what's the spaceship like? Maybe uh, what's what's its alien world? Like I, I I don't have an interest that that goes that deep, but I find appre- I, I can appreciate the idea of making what essentially is a big budget fan fiction. Because if I can see this, I can see this through this filter of like, okay, these are guys who really love the thing and what they want to give you the fan of the thing is here's what you imagined happened, but made with a lot of money. And of course there's, yeah, there's like the CGI is kind of like, yeah. Um, and there are certain certain elements of the story, like when we talked about the thing that's going to be released next week on on our Patreon. So one of one of the things is kind of very well. You, you kind of have to get on board is the fact that there's an ensemble, there's an ensemble cast, and you don't really get to learn a lot about the ensemble here. It's it's this again. Only half of these people are Norwegian uh, character actors. You have no fucking clue who they are. So when they, they say, look the where's, where's Lars? Who the fuck is Lars? <laughs> I had that exact note. Who is Lars? <laughs> Who's Lars? And he's just like, where's yeah. Lars? I'm like, I don't know what Lars looks like. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is a Lars? And, yeah. it, and then it's just, you know, or, or he, I don't know. So there's, so, so there's this, I, I think, that... There's the this I, I like the attempt at trying to tell a story that's sort of left completely untold by the original. And I like I mean with prequels there's always the danger. Like with sequel okay. Here's me going on, on a bit of a rant in my opening impressions. I'm so sorry. I don't mind sequels. Because sequels like sequels can never ruin the original, right? If say I don't know Robocop two was this kind of like you're not a fan you still have the original look at it right it's there or Predator two if you're not a fan of Danny Glover or Bill Paxton I don't or and and arm and sweaty armpits just go there Arnie's still in the in the forest you know going knock knock stick around you know it's there with prequels there is a danger that you're you're trying to. Ex, you, you have to build in a certain level of sto- of storytelling or or world building in into the or- so you have to dig into the original in a way, and then there is a danger that you may ruin it. Like by say, let's just say by ruining the mystique. This is this was probably I don't know one of the biggest sort of um, gripes people had with Prometheus. Just like why are you trying to explain this to me? Um, and oh, having said that, Prometheus is amazing. Um, so there's a danger of this. Why are you trying to to undo the mystery of what happened at the, at the Norwegian base? However, I feel this the, the the correct way of seeing this film is not exactly a prequel or maybe a stealth remake. It's a companion piece. Like if you don't see this film, nothing happens. Like the world moves on, right? Like you, you still have the thing. You can still enjoy it. Like this film never exists to you. And then even after this, it's so unmemorable and, and forgettable that tomorrow will be like, I don't even know what happened in there. Like let's watch the thing again. So I'll, I'll say this. I'm very middle of the road on this. Uh, there's, there's, there are things that I appreciate about the film. Maybe they don't have much to do with the cast. If, and we'll get to it because there is a certain homage to the 50s thing that I have a massive problem with. 
Make the sound massive from, but it's a problem because, and there are and there are certain elements of how how they're dealing with the ensemble cast that also kind of just throw back to the to the fifties, which is which is a not a problematic thing, but it's a thing that kind of doesn't really add too much to the story. Which like in, just inventing mini dramas that for no fucking reason, like you have a big drama on your hands, there's this thing with a vagina on its on on its face that's hunting you down with massive teeth and and, and spider legs. Um. But overall, I'm you know I'm remained I remain to be convinced. So I have a feeling that I'm going to be I'm going to be torn into directions by one by by hateful Nick and and and, and by by Mister Glass Half Full. <laughs> uh, here. Uh, so yeah, here's a question then: It was this a good idea in general? Because that, as you said, there was there was a time when just things from the 70s and 80s have been being were being remade and rejigged and redone in. You know, in in sort of through a modern lens, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Hills Have Eyes or Dawn of the Dead, they were all kind of being given the sort of um, modern sheen. Does this film actually attempt to to do do something similar in here, or what what does it try to do, and then is it successful in this, and why why did people hate it, <laughs> or why why is it like that? It's not successful, in my opinion. It's not successful. I I also think, honestly, it wasn't that... Like, okay, I can understand why they did it. You mentioned it as well. Randy's like, yeah, it's like, you know, there's the wave of remakes and whatnot. But also, history is the greatest teacher. And it was probably a bit early for them, to be fair. But just, there have been so many attempts at remaking... By remaking movies or making legacy sequels, whatever you want to call them, to movies that weren't that successful to begin with. Even like we saw that with Blade Runner as well. It's like, oh, those movies that weren't that big back then, but then everyone kind of knows. Let's try to capitalize on that 30 years later. And the result is that people still didn't show up. (laughs) And I think the same thing happened with this movie because... As much as it may be beloved now, the 1982 movie was a flop, commercially and critically. And when this movie came out, yeah, people loved the original, but some people just, like, it's still not enough people to go support a $38 million budgeted movie. And the fact that the reviews weren't favorable and there was no big name star attached to it kind of killed its chances to be a success. There, There are worse movies, honestly, I think, like the... The Nightmare on Elm Street remake is a, a worse movie than this. And quite a few of the other remakes that came out around this time are... Friday the 13th also got a remake? Yeah, like so many of those, not necessarily all of them good, but they still made more money because like, kind of the things we mentioned in the other conversation, like they're easier to sell as well because, oh, Hockey Mask, Jason, what do you do with the thing? It's kind of like, yeah, copy the same poster, but it's more clearly an alien, I guess. How do you sell this? Um, yeah, I think our conversation that we had about the original thing and its marketing uh, issues, I think those stand here as mm-hmm. well, because how do you find in a formless creature and a formless threat, you know, something that it just flesh, it could look like whatever you want. How do you lock on to a marketing icon, like a symbol, something uh, to go with? you know, the font, they've nailed the font. The thing has a, you know, good font for the, for the <laughs> posters, but you know, you, you don't have that creature that, you know, you can, you know, they be scared the of. Opening or title, though. Yeah, Why so did they change it? Why did they change it? 
how can you say this is a good yeah. movie? They fuck up the because, opening. Well, I suppose they they, <laughs> they didn't get want one to make, job. They didn't want to make it look like it's a remake. <laughs> anyway, by calling it the same thing. Anyway, Randy, I just barged in. Sorry. No, no, no worries. I I think though that they they're they're respecting the way the first film was shot. I, I like they are not going with um, you know any type of saw aesthetic. I, I think when you get into the violence and anything gruesome yes they're using cgi instead of uh, grotesque puppetry for the most part but I, I still think that what you see here is that they're honoring this by we want this to fit as an adjacent puzzle piece to the thing and the the look is similar and and fits it doesn't look as good but they're not going after a completely new aesthetic so you know i i like that and i think that's by choice because there's probably pressure to do what Texas Chainsaw Massacre did and, and do what some of these other films were doing at, at the time, because maybe courtesy of the Saw series, that's what's selling, right? This this darker, edgier element. And uh, the thing stays away from that. And I, I appreciate that as a choice. I mean, I'm just quickly looking. How much money did... Okay, so the original Hills Have Eyes, for instance, that was a massive success. Yeah. Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Yeah, I think it was a massive success. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, same deal. And I have a feeling that maybe is I'm trying to understand the negative reviews, like the negative reception or the negative um, reception to the very idea of touching the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's your opening zinger, <laughs> Mister Innuendo <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carry uh, on. Yeah, how could be you were, touch, you were touching the thing, <laughs> touching the thing. Um, but you know what I mean. Um, oh, we do. <laughs> I don't have any bottoms on. Anyway, just uh, <laughs> um, anyway, the idea of like, when you think about oh, we should remake the thing or we should do a prequel to the thing. It was already like it's it's almost like trying to um, like there's going to be a level of sacrilege involved in here and i have a feeling that this it's connected to like the the pains this movie the original film i mean the original the the, the cartoon carpenter's remake or readaptation of the novel has gone through over the subsequent decades because it was panned upon its release it was completely disregarded it nearly ruined carpenter's career it irreversibly changed his career because he was really sore about the fact people didn't like it and he put his heart and soul in it. And uh, and and then it was kind of just lifted out of ob- relative obscurity into a status of a, of a cinematic legend, right? By fans. And it almost mm-hmm. feels like this, the original The Thing has a different kind of ownership. It's owned by fans. And then you don't touch this because it's like we've worked so hard to make this film be appreciated for, for what it is you don't go and fucking risk it again sorry right so it feels like there's an element of this to me and it's just like you should like you shouldn't play with this like yeah yes and it's also honestly it's a lose-lose scenario because you have two choices you go the remake route and it's the same thing we've seen again. Why did you make it like this? Blah, blah, blah. Or you go the, let's say, Prometheus route, 
It's like, oh, this is different from what we're used to. It's still like, of course, there are references and stuff, but it's very different from the original movie that you're trying to uh, tie into. And you're going to alienate fans that way. So it's it's a lose-lose situation, but I think in the long run, making something different is always going to be more interesting than making the same thing. And, if, <laughs> and I think just repeating the same plot bits literally throughout the entire movie with very little nuances or very little additions to it kind of makes it feel pointless that's kind of what i was feeling it's like yeah we're seeing like oh here's how the axe got in the door when they visit the norwegian camp did i care no i don't care about any of that and there are elements like they were trying to maybe Mm -hmm. dive into the backstory of the alien more of the parasite is it interesting up to a point but it's way more interesting than just following something that you've seen before and something that you know the out- output of um, it feels more like checking boxes and it's like oh we we obsessively recreated the camp base fair enough good job on that front uh, trying to kind of recreate the style of the original even though this is very poorly underlit i think it goes way too much for those like strong shadows that actually make scenes unintelligible rather than creepy i have a note on this there are sequences where i actually had to go and take brightness to an absolute maximum that's actually know what i'm looking at that's just wrong like i cannot imagine if you were watching this in a in a very old cinema with a poor projection <laughs> it's just this everything's just pitch black More i didn't actually mind that I've, i found again like the darkness and the shadows were were shielding the effects and keeping the effects a little bit less clear and uh that uh, that didn't bother me like i i found that was in the same spirit of what carpenter did in the 82 version where things are hidden they're either around corners or they're in dark shadows or you know there's spotty light in the room so you don't fully see um all the effects um so that that didn't bug me at all by the way fun fact about recreating the base little did they know it's like oh let's recreate the norwegian base bit beat for beat didn't they know that one of the one of the ways they 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 trimmed down the budget on the originals, I think, that the Norwegian base was the same base that the Americans were in, <laughs> only after they ruined it with, with fire. <laughs> because it was just like we don't have to bu- build two sets; we'll build one, ruin it, and then we'll shoot the sequence later. <laughs> clever, super clever. <laughs> on the on the remake, there's just the business of uh, doing as it a remake or touching the property at all. There's there's another narrative which reminds me of different scenes in um, Altman's The Player, where you've got these studio heads or scenes from, I don't know if you guys would have seen this, but I, I really like the charm of the Prime series, Jean-Claude Van, Van, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Almost said Van Damme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but there's, in, in that, Van Damme goes to his agent, Felicia Rashad, and she's like, well... JC, why don't we do a Jane Eyre remake, but as an action movie? So, and in With the zombies. player, you've With got all zombies. these pitches. You've got these these people that, oh, we have access to this property. So we're going to pitch this idea to Tim Robbins. And that's, I think, what's happening is there's a property. Um, there's a property sitting there and all these other horror films are 
becoming hits. So yeah, they're not fans. They're not filmmakers. They're not creatives. They're the money guys. And say, well, we've got this property. We own this property so that one day it might have value. And what can we do with this? And I, I think what we get, like I say, like it, it's nothing to, you know, highly celebrate, but I, I don't mind it. Um, but I think that's what's happening. That's why it's made. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got to get a property and we've got to do what Texas Chainsaw Massacre did. And we've got to make some money off this property. But probably the thought process going into it didn't include research into the marketing problems that the original had because it had some major marketing problems and it was not well received by audiences. And it's not just that E.T. crushed it. It's that it had negative responses from fans and, it, and film goers and um, critics alike. So the same marketing issues, I think, still exist with the thing. I, I don't necessarily see it as a mainstream horror film. Take your date and, you know, scare the crap out of you know, whoever your date is or go, uh, you know, a bunch of teenagers go. It's just, it doesn't have that appeal because it doesn't have, you know, the single, single killer that you can identify with. It's, it's got a very abstract, formless villain. And it's really, really hard to market that. And, And that's why this one wasn't a hit either. But in terms of why touch it, why bother? You know, I think it's, that decision was completely made by, um, the legal owners of the property as opposed to, you know, the excited fan owners like the the Tarantinos and the champions of of the 1982 thing. Yeah, to, to me, there's an, there's an element of this. And then there's, yeah, there, like there's no marketable monster. You, you can, I don't know, but it feels it feels wrong to actually touch this to play with the thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did it on purpose. I'm sorry. But um in all fairness, like you could, like when you see, like Nick, Nick, you were just saying as well. There's just like, well, there's it's a lose lose situation because you either remake or you, or you go, or you go so off piece that it's just unrecognizable. But uh, you think to yourself, there's no other way than remaking this because the the original is so sparse that if you veer too far from from the beaten track, then you'll be like, what are you doing? Like why? Why are you inventing some some new lore in here? Like you're not like you you're not supposed to do this. And then if you follow on with 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 the breadcrumbs you have, as in like, well, let's just imagine what's what's happening in this sort of Norwegian base. What they could possibly know, they could probably know exactly what the Americans w- would know. So you'd expect there will be an exact repetition of certain things. At some point, they'll realize that this thing's taking shape of of, of some of them. So they'll have to, have to figure out a way to 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 distinguish. Um, the thing from actual people so there will be the equivalent of the blood test scene so it actually and then so it kind of logically flows on that you can only make this film nothing else because if you actually make something else then it looks ridiculous and if you make the same thing again it's you look ridiculous because you might as well just not do what you're doing just sit just stop what you're doing stop spending money take a blu-ray out of its box and watch the thing (laughs) and it'll be fine because you're changing, yeah, you could change the lore entirely, and then and the fans will not, the not allow it, that was, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that was the Blair Witch scenario when the Book of Shadows, the, that original mm-hmm. sequel, came out. Like that was just such so a good film. Far removed. Is it? 
I like it actually. Really? And it's I, not good. <laughs> I saw it when it was originally released. I think I'm I'm not sure if I saw it in the cinema, but I'm not sure I liked it. And I was a fan of the original. But that's mm -hmm. pretty much the problem. Like the, the the original is so sparse in lore. The only lore mm -hmm. is just well, there's this witch in here, and then some bits of iconography left hanging on the on on trees and in the house at the end. That's it. Nothing else. Then all of a sudden you try, you, you try to build some kind of magic voodoo crap in, in, into it, and it just does not work. Yeah, it's a totally other beast. Whereas um, Paranormal Activity, just on that thought, uh, sticks to its guns. And it, it doesn't stray too far from the definition of the first film, what's defined there. And yeah, the, the thing, so I, I appreciate this, this path that, that they're on, that they're not arsing up the lore. So that you have the the Blair Witch sequel scenario. I mean, some films kind of lend themselves a little bit more to that kind of situation, to actually expanding on the lore. Like, you, I can I can see there is a there is a way for, say, the Exorcist prequels or sequels because you introduce the demon, you call it Pazuzu, and then for and and then there's something to hang your hat on because well, what if this demon goes into another kid? Here's a sequel, or how did how did it get into the statue? I don't know what happens. You know, like so, so there, there so there are easy in entries for certain things, but in here it's such a such a well contained piece of storytelling that it's almost um it, it's impossible to to dig into it in, to dig into it without undermining it, right? Yeah, I, I think the only way they could have made it very interesting, but also very out of there and probably even worse <laughs> in some ways would have been put it into space. You want, a, you want a prequel? We'll give you a prequel. How did the spaceship land on Earth? Let's see everything before that. In like alien languages as well. Sh Why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, it's Just, like, it's like that's Passion whole of the film Christ, you know. In like weird... It's like in Aramaic. Big Latin. Yeah, let's put it in space. Mel Gibson directs it. It's all alien creatures. <laughs> Why not? in space. Why not? Um, I mean... Something that's not because that's that's that was that's what was frustrating. Because I can I can also understand that the poor director had like problems making the movie with the studio. But just you're watching this, and you know that they wanted to make a prequel and like do something different. But we cannot deny that they go do the exact same things that we've seen before, except for the opening, which is more like the 1951 story in the novella, where it's mm -hmm. like, we find a spaceship, let's get into it. But like, I see. Mm. Uh, in terms of, okay, well, uh, this is devol quickly devolving into how do we make this movie better, right? Um, I, I see a sequel, not a prequel in here, actually, when you think about it, because sequel doesn't really negate, negate what's happened. You could imagine a story where someone finds the dead bodies of McCready and Childs, and then they don't know what's going on, and they bring the thing onto the world, and now we have a pandemic thriller with just trying to contain this disease. It's like 28 days later. <laughs> yeah, but mm. it's a different vibe. So it, it is becoming aliens versus alien, right? It's taking place in the same world. It starts and and kind of hooks onto the original ideas because it's it's taking locations, it's taking concepts from from the original, but it goes its own way. This thing is trying to retread ground, and now it's a contest of like, is is it worth doing it using using the modern tools, um, which is a tall order because Rob Button's um, 
work with special effects was just magnificent, not even for its time, just in general. So how do you how do you go and you know how to do that? Have they have they actually succeeded? Because Nick Nick, I know you you don't agree, but like Randy also, do do you think they <laughs> the, the special effects themselves like so the the modern reimagining of, of the thing? I, I suppose this, there will be this will be the, the allure. How about we use modern technology to see what can we do with this creature? How can we show show it in an interesting way and then bring it to modern audiences? Did they succeed or not? I, I think what they can do, I think you're on to something. If anything, maybe they should have chosen a sequel. Uh, I tend to agree this is a property they shouldn't have touched, but if they do anything, the sequel might work and then you get the Jurassic Park Lost World type of thing where you get them off the island. That that sort and of how did the Tyrannosaurus Rex pilot the ship? <laughs> Just saying. But in, in terms of the effects question, I the effects aren't perfect here. There's There's some which... Um, I'll, I'll be talking about a little bit later. Uh, but for the most part, I sort of like the effects here. I, I think they work. I think they keep the formlessness of the thing. They don't, they don't go too far. I think the temptation would be there for the, uh, character design and the special effects work to go really far down a world where you have these creatures look a certain way. And I, I think the whole thing with the thing is it's ambiguity and just tentacles and bodies are contorted in weird ways. And I, I think that that idea is adhered to nicely. And I think the CGI works not too bad. There's one shot of a creature. It looks like there used to be these things called mad balls where they were like balls that you'd throw, but they'd have sort of distorted monster heads. And it looked like a mad ball on legs with weird hair, just sort of scooting across and it was CGI. And I thought that was sort of uh, cool. Uh, I, I think, I think the effects here mostly work. There's, there's a few exceptions. Um, but I, again, I see that the, the filmmakers are, are binding themselves to the rules of the original. And, you know, part of it is, uh, well, I guess a lot of it is that I think that they just want to pay homage and redo what they love. I would say that, uh, Van Heiningen, if I, I think I might be a butcher of his name as well. No, I think, I think, uh, I don't know. Van Heiningen. I think, I think, I think we're good. Yeah, He's not, not the, it's not the easiest name in the world. I'm sorry, Matthias, but you yeah. know, like this is just it's what it is. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, a love here and he's one of the champions that we talked about of the thing that has an appreciation for the original. And in a way I sort of like that it's his voice that's, that's on board here because he's not ruining it with something totally crazy and going, he, there's some restraint. Well, let's make the creatures look like this. And then there's a bunch of them and a huge battle and, like he's keeping it contained within sort of the the canon and the rules of the original thing or the 1982 the thing at least so yeah i'm yeah i'm i'm cool with this i I don't see this as you know majorly problematic except i would agree they should probably not have touched it at all but in terms of what we get i'm i'm fine with it it's you know I, I appreciate, I'll say this, I do appreciate the designs of the creatures. I think they're faithful to the original. Mm-hmm. I think there's, whew, whew, there's one moment 
it's gonna make an appearance positively. Um, this was incredibly disturbing. It's a type of body horror that just gets to me. It and does it really involve a mouth? Yes. Okay, I think I know. Okay, <laughs> Wait, maybe kind of. Yes. Okay, we'll we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> Stay um, tuned, kids. Don't all the kids especially. Um, but. But, but I think, I, I, and also this is kind of a problem of having like the behind the scenes knowledge, because if I didn't know these things, I'd probably be more, maybe more accepting of the problems. But the fact that they had, I don't know if, if have you both seen like some of the behind the scenes footage of this film? No, not no. zero, nada. Like I, oh. I, I went completely oh. blind and probably this is probably, this may be why I'm, I'm not that negative. No, no, no. Don't watch it then. Don't watch them. Don't I mean, now I don't care. Like, I don't want to clips. see this movie ever again anyway, but you know. The, if you watch, like, if you're not going to watch them, don't do it because it's going to make this worse for you. It's just, they had proper animatronics that looked just like the ones from the 1982 film. They're moving around. It's like the face is contorting. It's insane. I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is cool and amazing and incredible. And the studio looked at it and went like, nope. <laughs> I mean, let's, I don't... let's pay uh, underpaid uh, VFX artists to churn out in one month some VFX to make it more creepy and, and, and crazy. And the visual effects artists, like the makeup artists, they were they kind of disowned the project because of that. They were like, this is... This is not what we made. It's, it's it's basically just digital. We had actual like tangible objects that the actors reacted to, and you removed them completely by adding all that nonsense on top of it. And just looking at what could have been, honestly, for me, probably would have improved some moments. I think, especially, we're gonna talk about it. I think we're all we've all alluded to it. The helicopter moment. Mm -hmm. It's fairly brief, to be fair, but just oh, horrible, <laughs> horrible effect. And you see behind the scenes, and it's pretty good. And it's like, it was there. <laughs> it was there. It would have been interesting to see this kind of done practically, because when you think about this, like, we tend to think that like, CGI has superseded practical effects or animatronic special effects. But when you think about it, in the last 30 to 40 years, practical effects have also made massive leaps and bounds in terms of sophistication mm -hmm. and modern practical effects look amazing and you'd, you'd, you'd almost want to imagine these sort of creatures built and engineered using our current state-of-the-art knowledge and would be probably just 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 great meanwhile the 2011 special effects i mean for me for me cgi dates like milk like 10 years on you could see the seams and it's not something i have particular nostalgia for like i don't have nostalgia for for cgi it's just how i'm wired i'm sorry so it almost it's it's a detractor like old cgi is is, is something i have to work past yeah and oh, are you serious oh nico is just showing by the way for for all of you listeners a, might a, as well just showing a... showing how good it looked it looks it's amazing kind of like Look at this! Oh, that does look good. See, uh, this one thing, like modern animatronic. This is an animatronic effect from ten years ago, and it looks great. The model looks amazing. It's just the contorting sort of two faces smushed into one, right? But see here, we talked about the helicopter scene. Fucking Jesus! Again, wow. just good. Um, 
Still, though, I, I think that uh, Heiningen here has the sense in the editing to keep the shot short of the CGI. And True. although now, looking at those those images that you just flashed up for us to see, um, yeah, they looked great. And that would have been, probably been cooler. Um, but in terms of what we do get, I'm, I'm okay with Heiningen's approach to this because he is... Uh, short shots there is they're they're playing with the lighting within the cgi as well to keep some things in shadows and keep other things lurking around corners so there's an astute sensibility to how the suspense is being manufactured and it's still treated similarly to how carpenter created uh, suspense and i i appreciate that um because this i would not call this a major cgi fest uh, for the most part you know, you have a few scenes at the end where it, you know, goes a little silly, <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, like it's, it's, it's done in the spirit of uh, 1982's The Thing. But see, one thing that bothers me, and it's not something that, you know, that's going to make an appearance later, but something that bothers me that I've now kind of just, I'm, I'm becoming more acutely aware of while trying to remember scenes. The original The Thing one of its strengths was some was something that we we talked about as well is that it's that there is no distinct villain you can't there's no xenomorph that you mm-hmm. can you know just make make no. a statue of and sell like there's no, no funko icon. pop right? right there probably is a funko pop but <laughs> but but you know there's because every time you see it it's something different it's always something new it reinvents itself and it and and takes you by surprise and just throws you off uh, off the loop a little bit. And here they're trying to kind of just fo- hone in on something. There's all there's this sort of form. This thing at, eventually just arrives at. This has this mouth when it has a bottom as the sort of and so it becomes a creature. So and I'm not sure. I, I feel like this is a mistake <laughs> because then, then it becomes a, a knockoff of. Of, of alien almost in a, in a way yes and also the way just the thing acts is fairly different to and uh, like i don't want to get into logistics itself it's just kind of like proper like just behavior you're watching in the 1982 it's smart it's clever it's trying to hide it's trying to blend in yep in this film it's just constantly showing up jumping out cannot contain itself has to appear every two three minutes it's almost more like a predator in a way where it's always kind of like let's lure people in and just attack them and and chase Mm -hmm. them around it's like it's 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 an approach that again could work on its own i guess but just as even as a companion piece to the original it's 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 i don't know it's too different for its own good it's kind of like what 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 are you? <laughs> What's your goal here? Because you're not hiding effectively. Like you're always figured out, except except for the end for the whole Joel Edgerton thing. Just like every single other time, it's it's always out there in the open. I don't know. It was very. It felt like they were trying too hard to cater to the ADHD crowd of oh. horror cinema nowadays. Where it's like we need to have an action scene every five ten minutes. I was like, yeah. I can I can believe that. Like I say, like it's this is this is not the original. I appreciate it's trying to do 
the same thing in a lot of the same ways, but um, it's it's not as successful. Um, but but on its own, it for me it you know it mostly works. See, there is one thing that bothers me, and this is something that this is this is me coming back. Remember, I mentioned how it has problems that get date to the fifties. One of the main selling features that make the thing work in a way that that it does it is just all macho men. Well, and there is a, and then, you know, they're they're kind of like okay, Alien gets away with say this sort of multi gendered cast, uh, because you, at some point you don't even pay attention to their women and their men here, right? Because they don't really have these. Well, they have very mini. They have micro dramas, like uh, our bonuses, or are we going to be here long, or whatever. Like that's, but they don't have mini dramas, and then you also do not have mini dramas in the thing. They're, these people are just shapeless for 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 all I care. They have their micro dramas, like they have their alienation, like the guys just just putting a noose together, or um, you know, Kurt Russell not being able to take losing against the computer very well um, and calling it a cheating bitch. They don't have mini dramas. And then once you introduce these things, like there's this sort of professor who has an ego, who needs to just recruit a paleontologist from God knows where. And then, and she comes on and then all of a sudden, like Joel Edgerton just like latches onto her. And then there's in, in all, it creates dramas like for some reason. I don't get it. I don't understand why it's there because it almost serves as a distraction and it doesn't even help because there's 15 people in this base and I have no idea what Lars looks like. <laughs> Like, yeah. like the only one I remember was the one I remember from Game of Thrones and Force Majeure, like because he's the ginger as well. So <laughs> shout out to all gingers, by the way. Stands out between the blonde <laughs> crowd. Yeah, and then you honestly don't know who these people are, and then like, oh, this one got left behind. Like who? <laughs> it's not so. Yet. Yeah, not to keep drawing comparisons to the original, but I guess it's inevitable. One one thing with the original is you had 12 characters, very simple characters that you don't really get to know very well, but you could pick them out of the, of a crowd. Like you had 12 people, each were identifiable in their own way, whether it was through their role, through their appearance, through their voice, through their interactions with something else, or through a quirk written into their character here in exchange, you get, Joel Edgerton, who's a little bit of a character, he stands out a little bit and you get um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, mm-hmm. she stands out. And so you've got these two semi leads. And is there a romance there? They do connect together. That is that is true. But you have these two protagonists, in essence, that you latch onto, And then you've got 13 other people completely disposable. And that's to me, that's a big problem with within the film that it doesn't work as well as the original because the they're not even discernible in 1982 you could tell one individual from the other and you sort of knew their roles here you don't know anyone and you recognize a couple of them you don't know any of them by name and so when they they start getting knocked off by the thing or taken over who cares? So there is that element here of, you know, 
it doesn't really matter because they're just a template. They're just a cardboard insert into the scene anyway. And that's sort of a, that's sort of a problem that doesn't really exist in the original. I mean, see, here's the problem. I mean, this, the, the film like this doesn't really lend itself to very well to an ensemble cast that you were, where you're supposed to um, not care. Right. Like mm-hmm. I think of aliens, for instance, like, can I can I name all these all, all these characters? I don't know who Apon was or whoever. Like, but uh, at the end of the day, I don't care because these are Marines and they're going to go through this door and half of them are going to die and I won't care, right? Because they're essentially they're just a mass of people. In and you just you don't you don't really have to get used to them. You don't have to interact with them. Like you just interact with them the way you interact with a crowd. In here, there's a difference because these people are not getting offed, they're getting replaced. Mm-hmm. So there's this, then all of a sudden, like, well, Lars no longer Lars or fucking whoever. Like, Peter's no longer Peter. Peter is now uh, the thing. And then you don't know. Or just Katie from, from accounting or whoever. Like, she's now the, the fucking spider queen. And so, but I don't know enough about these people i don't i don't have the time and then i and the script does not really allow me the sort of the latitude to kind of just go and say oh i think i can i can i can i don't know i think i've interacted with these people for long enough to know that this guy's this this guy's the mechanic and this guy has a problem because his his bonus is not what he wanted to be right so so effectively now i i'm in a room say in in the sort of let's just say the recreation of the iconic blood test where they have to go into people's mouths and say like show me your feelings and by the way like it's the 80s everyone has amalgam feelings so it's easy it's all black right but but show show mary elizabeth winston is looking into people's mouths and you're supposed to be on your on the edge of your seat because you you're supposed to i don't know expect that some someone's not gonna pass the test and they're gonna be the thing but you don't care who it is like you honestly do not give a shit because you have no idea who these people are the only people you recognize is joel edgerton and and mary elizabeth winston and probably the the dick professor who's whose ego is the size of mount rashmore right but other than that these people are completely faceless to me and that's a big mistake i think because they they pretty they probably didn't well they have failed to see the forest for the trees because they were so interested in the minutia of making the thing, the thing, mm-hmm. the, making the thing be the thing, as in like be related to the the original, and they thought this the the, the relationship with the original is in the special effects and in the in the paranoia, and not in the fact that you even though you have faceless characters, they're somehow recognizable, yeah. that they're somehow discernible human beings, even though they're a crowd, they can you can you, you can find that the Bennings is a ginger. Wilford Brimley is is whatever. There's Childs. There's this guy, and then that guy, and then oh, and oh, for some reason you feel like you're around. You're surrounded by people, uh, and in here I'm I'm surrounded by a crowd of Norwegian football fans. Like I don't know, they all wear the same T-shirt and they speak the same language. I have no idea who they are. The only one I recognize <laughs> is the ginger. So, and I'm allowed to say that because I'm a ginger myself. Just to... You're sur- you're surrounded by a soon-to-be body count. They're just lambs to the slaughter, <laughs> which again falls into just taking the boxes. You need to have this many characters in because you see an X amount of corpses in the other movie. And it's, it's just... Meh. And that's kind of the power of simplicity 
of uh, not even archetypes, but just having easily distinguishable characters. Because I know we know we talked about Roger Ebert um, hating the one noteness, if that's the word, of the characters in the originals. Yeah, did he have a chance to see this? He died in 2012, right? He must you have. He, he might have seen this actually. He doesn't talk about it in his book. <laughs> great, great movies or. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know the life itself that's just two and a half stars okay is it actually him or one of the other guys it says roger ebert okay same then two and a half stars is what he gave the original wasn't it didn't we say it says the thing 2011 huh? he finds logical flaws as well why would the thing reveal itself before it had infected everyone i suppose yeah, hold on. Let's just scroll down to the... Oh my goodness. The contribution by John Carpenter was to take advantage of three decades of special effects to make his creature awful gooey things from space. That was done well in this film and it is done with even more technical expertise here. But to what point? The more you see of a monster, the less you get. It is the unseen, the imagined this, that scares you. This version of The Thing, directed by Matthijs van Heineken Jr., provides such graphic and detailed views of the creature that we are essentially reduced to looking at special effects and being aware that we are. Think how little you ever really saw in the first Alien movie and how frightening it was. Exactly. I, <laughs> I expect this movie will do well at the box office. <laughs> It has well. a lot of gory <laughs> gotcha moments and many scenes in which an endless supply of things are incinerated by flamethrowers. It seems like such an ignominious, ignominious end for such a versatile species. Like he didn't like it, but he also didn't really tear a new, tear, tear a new one. I mean, he was dying, poor man. So, you know. You think he was... He was kinder. Yeah. You know, he did mellow up. He did say that he mellowed up during the later years. We love the movies, but still, um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just didn't care. I, I kind of like, I kind of liked um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in this film, but simply because she's a very good actress um, who has a, just screen presence. She's on screen. She just seemed like yeah, she she she's up to something good, you know. But she's no Ripley. No one can be like that. Um, they try, but it doesn't work. Um, because it's it's ultimately kind of pointless. I'm happy they don't force in any backstory of her own. She's not like trying to win so win over some trauma, and this experience makes her grow. But they also don't like that this doesn't kill her off. She survives. Well, they have a mini drama in here, in when in its gender related, right? She's an expert in her field. She's a she's a world class paleontologist that she's being flown by by a Norwegian, you know, professor who probably knows her from I don't know where because the internet is not invented yet, right? She's world famous. So she's <laughs> no, world famous. She's, pro she's no, probably her like... boyfriend. Her ex boyfriend <laughs> is working on this project. That's how he recommends her. Oh, yeah, but then she has this Even dynamic with that. the professor who goes like, "Don't ever under undermine me in front of my men." And then she goes like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm just telling you how to be safe. So she has this sort of thing that she has to prove herself because people don't take her seriously. So 
she almost becomes like this. Uh, I, I know it's it, it, this has been recently. The, the, you know, she becomes this sort of Mary Sue character. Like she's almost like almost all by herself, and I think it's a mistake as well because she's being painted into this corner of being a heroine of the film, but she's not supposed to survive because you know how the thing starts. There's no survivors in the in the base, and so I was like, "What is she supposed to? Do? Oh, she's gonna die off screen in a little snowcat, right?" I guess. Yeah, it's a just, bit odd. just a f- flat line of an ending, Jesus. But that I think, yeah that that's the attempt. Um, that's the attempt to write this in 2010, 2011, and we we need uh, a protagonists here female lead and a male lead and so edgerton is similarly written a little bit stronger um, than anyone in 1982 was right so the the trade-off is you've got two or three people here that you can recognize that have a little bit uh going on or at least you can latch to latch on to but and then you have got 12 other people that they're just doomed because we can't tell them apart from one another um and you know we've talked about how that contrasts with the original and it's it's not yeah it's not an effective trade i i I see what they're doing it's probably just a function of you know how they make films in how they make films these days well we have to have a couple leads let's see here's a question i don't understand certain things in here like logically they don't make sense like in the original you can you can kind of disregard some logic leaps i mean like the sort of idea of building a spaceship in a shed or a, or a snow cave um because it ultimately doesn't matter but f- for me there are certain things in here that really start bothering me like Joel Edgerton's character spoiler alert for 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 all of you out there who haven't seen this Joel, Joel Edgerton is revealed to be the thing at the end, right? Because she's like, oh, I noticed your earring, and he grabs the wrong ear. Um, and then she goes like, ah, oh, flamethrower, and he goes, Bleh! right? But but here's here's something. Like, he's in a helicopter with this guy who just turns into a big mouth, this big sideways mouth, right? They crash the helicopter, and they come back. Is he the thing then? I don't know. Probably is. If not, who's infecting him? I have no idea because he, then you're on his shoulder at all times. Is he? Does he become the thing on the ship when they go into the sort of big finale? Which, by the way, is its own problem because now have to have a massive final set piece and that 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 go that outdoes the original. Because if you think about it, the original, only has a one explosion with dynamite and just thing go, going underground. That's it, and one special effect sort of creature going Bleh, right. That's mm-hmm. it. And here we have a whole set piece. But I think to, to myself, like, what's the deal with the thing? What's its what's what's its game? What's its game plan? In the original, you could you could imagine that its game plan is to survive and to sp- spread itself, right? Why is Joel Edgerton then continually pretending that he's real when there are only these two people left? I don't know. That that was actually bothering bothering me. Um, watching the ending, I was like, "What? Like, why doesn't he help his friend?" Like, she, <laughs> she's yeah, exactly. fighting him. He has, like, this, he has the monster who goes and tries to eat a Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Why is he going like, "Oh, hide"? Just why? Especially for such an extroverted version of the thing, <laughs> it's always happy to show up and be active. 
just come on man it's, um, it makes zero sense yeah it's it's a written punchline you know it, it doesn't quite make sense if you if you give it if you give it that look i i agree i have no idea but to be honest like speaking of things that don't make sense what's up with the tetris <laughs> just what what is that just this just <laughs> This um, unwatchable yeah. effect of just Tetris falling. It's in the same universe as uh, Pixels. Oh. Christopher Columbus film. That's, like, it's just, yeah. What is oh, that? Just but switch it, Joel Edgerton with Adam Sandler. You got a hit. But there are so many weird things in here as well. Like, uh, by the way, did you notice that the beacon signal, that's something, uh, is probably lifted from Sunshine? So I like I know this from somewhere. It's just like didn't couldn't they build, just come up with their own special effects? I don't know. It's just a sound. Like hire a guy, pay him a oh. grand. I don't know. No, I just I just remembered actually the Tetris thing mm-hmm. that they read mm-hmm. up. They uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead arrives on the ship and she was supposed to see holograms of the ship's crew just killing each other and like oh there's the thing and they're trying to survive and all of them die. And That's what I've been saying like, about the original, right? Like, there's yeah, just, and, there's, and there's, the, the thing like, is just a disease. Yeah, and they were like, it's too much because we're going to the climax and we're also putting backstory, so just cover it up. I just remember why there's Tetris effect. It was just to cover up another effect. Yeah, no, that effect totally yeah. takes you out of the out of the film. So when do you know if, when the aliens were killing one another? Were they in human form? Like what form were they? They were. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's footage of that. I don't think so. I want to think they're like humanoid aliens. Um, it would be great if the they ship. were like all sorts of uh, aliens that Universal had access to. <laughs> like there's E.T. <laughs> E.T. is slitting someone's throat. Like, could you imagine like E.T. just spreading sideways like this dog just... <laughs> phone home, just fucking spider. Just It's great. Like it, like it writes itself. <laughs> it's just... You know, just I I don't know. It's the whole. But by the way, I have a problem with the entire ending of this. Like just finding this spaceship and the spaceship starts working. Like really? Yeah, that that bothered me. Just the whole business of spending time in the spaceship. Why why do we need to be in it? And yeah, it sort of makes sense, Nicola. If you said that there were other moments that were imagined in the script that they didn't. They decided that was too much or they didn't want to go in that direction or they cut it out uh makes sense maybe that we're there but i still don't think it works like i don't think we need to be in this thing in the way that we are like the the spaceship to me and even in the original the the spaceship isn't an interesting element like what works here is the idea of the paranoia and the suspense and the more you show me you know in this fantastical ufo type of realm the more it takes me out Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think they should, should they yeah. should have just reshot it. Like it's 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 rough. Yeah. It's expensive. Just reshoot it. Yeah, and the reshoot could be d- done, you know, simply. It could be done in a nice cave or you know, mm-hmm. s- a relatively simple set. Yeah. And it all kind of just all all kind of works. I mean, it's supposed to be cute at the end, right? Where after all this is said and done and then Maria Elizabeth Winstead I think she just dies off screen because she's not supposed to be in the original thing all of a sudden it's, it's the morning now and I was like 
Oh, here's a dog. We totally forgot about the dog because the dog makes no appearance whatsoever for like an hour. It's just, oh, we need the dog to run away. Oh, it's just, okay. It's ridiculous. But at least I like the touch that they, that they changed the score and they just incorporate Ennio Morricone in there and just say, mm-hmm. like, now we're in the thing. So, you know, just brace yourself. So I think this is when they had the most fun. They were like, we've done it, guys. We've done it, boys and girls. We we're just connected to Johnny, to yeah. JC. But yeah, yep. in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really work. Like the more I'm, 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 I'm thinking about this, the more I listen to you guys. I'm just, I think I'm in in, in Nick camp now. Hey, hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm sliding a bit as well. <laughs> this is not good. It's getting <laughs> steeper and steeper. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's a snowfall, <laughs> An avalanche. But, but what would like a th- what did it have like a Rotten Tomatoes rating of thirty four percent or or something? But wow. still. For for what goes into this and what we get, I still don't see that level of hatred. But if it's looked at through the lens of continual comps to the the John Carpenter film, then it's it's to be expected, right? The, because the further you dig in, like it's it's just not it's not a companion piece in a way that that really makes a whole lot of sense. But yet it relies it relies on the the Carpenter film so heavily because that's got to be the end point like with how they've set it up so yeah i don't know i'm still middling on it but yeah it's it's uh i've got less of a footing in my defense it's it's yeah, yeah it's the unfortunate thing with it's, prequels are a double-edged sword um i find it very interesting the comparison with well, like yeah because you can you ever take a prequel on its own and I think even some of my favorite prequels you cannot watch just on their own. Like there's elements, even in something like the Ouija prequel um, from David. No, wait, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan Mike, did the sequel, like, right? I watched it without having seen the original film, and still there are references where I was lost. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. Um, but at least it was different. I think it even the same with the um, Exorcist prequel by Schrader, because the other one is garbage. Arlen made it um, like it's it, it manages to kind of work on its own despite the references and whatnot here it's yeah there were good intentions good intentions well, what, good what efforts. did he say the hell is paved with good intentions <laughs> <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Uh, I, I probably sound way more harsh than I actually am about this film um it's it's just that it bored me so much, so so much. It's nowhere near as bad as other films that I've seen as other remakes and prequels, but it just no. gave it gave me nothing. It gave me absolutely like nothing good and very little bad. So I was like, mm. uh, do you think this can stand on its own? Though I think I would I would say this does sort of stand on its own in not too bad a fashion. I can I can see people watching it and kind of enjoying it for what it is. Really. I mean, prequels yeah. have this is this is basically a problem with a prequel because it doesn't exist with, without the original, no? Because it, yes. it, yes, it relies can. on you knowing certain things. Well, I mean, it sh- it shows its hand earlier. I'd say that probably, but so still, it, I mean, if, if you, you don't, were, if you were to show it, show these, take the nineteen eighty two the thing and the twenty eleven the thing, and show it to an unsuspecting viewer who has never seen either. Which one do you show first? No, I'd show only one. Yeah. No, no, but if you... Okay, f- fair enough. Quality notwithstanding. Like, if assuming they're all 
great, right? Quality-wise. Which one do you show first, the original or the prequel? Well, this is like Star Wars. Um, I'd probably say the original, honestly. That I rest my case, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that means doesn't stand on its own because it needs the original. Like if if it would you did, do the same with Star Wars? Star same thing. Star Star. You can't watch the prequels to Star Wars without having seen the original trilogy because you a you're watching a I don't know oh, yeah. the origin yeah. story of of a villain and then you're ruining it ruining ruining a twist or or a big reveal in the second film. Yeah. I was thinking about the same thing about like people who watch Firewalk with me in Twin Peaks because it's like oh it's a prequel so I watched it before the show. Oh, whoops. Yeah. You watched yeah. So it's if it if it, if it didn't matter it wouldn't be a prequel it would be the first like you, all of a sudden you, you just rejig the entire continuity of the series and say now the original is the se- is the sequel sorry. <laughs> so, but yeah. I'll I'll go even as far as say like you know it's prequels are not a double-edged sword they're a big strap-on dildo you know that's what they are and then there's no other way of dealing with like someone's gonna get fucked in this in this scenario and it's going to be the original and the only way you can actually get get away with it is if the original has some level of satisfaction out of this if it if the if the original's into it then you then, <laughs> then you then then you may have something out of this other otherwise this is just an un, un, unhealthy sort of very rapey situation going on in here i feel this is the case in here this is then some someone's just trying to just desecrate the original in in a way while while trying to give it some level of satisfaction do you like what i'm doing to you honey it's just like no fucking stop (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh man (laughs) and on that anyway final takes guys (laughs) (laughs) like you know I don't know, unless we, you guys, we we have something else because I've run out of you know, <laughs> things to say and I don't even well, know if I've, I want to say anything else. Yeah, Just no, I, I I think I'm fine. Um, yeah, I'll I'll start. I you know this this film still like for what it is. I, I you know it's it's a money grab. I think the people that um, had access to the property they didn't quite understand what they were marketing and then whenever uh the creatives were brought into the fold they i think they did okay but they didn't fully understand everything that made the thing tick like uh for instance the you know the cast being completely disposable i think that's a a big miss you know um and the fact that they are making everything a remake like almost beat for beat there's there's uh, an awkwardness in that um so yeah this is this is, like it's very middling but you know sliding to the the negative side uh, i i don't think it's a sloppy film though so to risk going to uh y- Jacob's uh, analogy there it's it's certainly <laughs> not sloppy <laughs> oh my but uh yeah it's it's yeah, it's not necessarily satisfying, uh, as you said. So, well, not everyone's into it, right? <sighs> Nick, do you have anything you want to bring to the proceedings? I will only add one thing. 
in the end, there's only one true remake of the thing that matters. And that's Fingu. The Pingu remake of the thing. I thought you were going to say the, helpful, the Hateful Eight, but you know. No. Oh, yeah, but also no. Fingu. Watch Fingu. It's two minutes long and a hundred times better than this <laughs> remake. Oh, wowee. You know, I slid all the way into the hate camp now. Like, this is something. To... <laughs> I don't like this film anymore. I mean, I to never liked it. I don't think I liked it. I was just I was just indifferent about it. And then the only thing I, I, I had against it was the fact that it didn't really attempt to wow me. But the longer you think about it, the, the longer you're trying to kind of take it apart, then you realize... Uh, <sighs> It, it is a big strap on dildo trying to fuck the original and i don't really appreciate that because like there's been three decades almost four decades of collective fan effort of trying to bring this film into a status of something of, of something that people should appreciate and then you like it's you know it's it, it was already a victim of a crime in 1982 and then now you're doing this to it jesus so I'm, I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna leave it there because there's it's, it's it's just I don't I, I I don't feel it's a good idea. It's it's a it's unnecessarily complicated with many dramas with the idea of just trying to make I don't know just a more sort of eclectic and more inclusive cast for God knows what reason. It's supposed to be in 1982. There were there were probably like it's a Norwegian expedition. There were all guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And then, then who would who would bring an American paleontologist onto it just for the for the sake of having a female lead? I'll I'll, I'll put it this way. Like logically, it makes zero sense. And I, again, I have I love women. Women are amazing. The best thing ever in the world. I have two in my house. One of them is my kid. <laughs> perspective. Um, the other is in the basement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but in in. The thing just has to be all men. I'm sorry. It's just for some reason it doesn't work the same way because it introduces different kinds of dramas to distract from the thing. Or you make an all female remake of the thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> starring. Fa- fair the, enough. Make Melissa an all female. McCarthy. No, don't, 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 not Melissa McCarthy. But like, do an all... after the success of Sorcerer. Yeah, but back. do an all female remake will will probably function in a similar way because it in, doesn't introduce that kind of tension that kind of drama but that just distracts the 1951 pro- film has this problem and it it really is a problem so there's that so yeah make make an all female like i want to see michelle williams in there with like you know margot robbie it would be probably great laura then, dern kristen stewart and Jared Leto and just dressed as a woman in Cynthia drag. <laughs> just in drag, just full going full method, pretending she, he's a woman. Rosie Perez. <laughs> yeah, it makes itself, you know. It writes itself, so you could you could do this, but I, I don't know. Jodie Foster directing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just shouting names. Yeah, Kelly Reinhardt. I want to. I want Kelly Reinhardt. <laughs> All right, this this needs a GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> Like we just show up at their doorstep no, with hold money. No, Claire Denis. Like you, could do, you, could, you could get Claire Denis to do it. <laughs> get Lynn Ramsey to do it. She would get the. She probably would, yeah. But to be fair, like they they were they were, they were really done with toxic masculinity. So it's like, what do they need to do? 
the female version. It doesn't work. Yeah. So it's like the lighthouse. Two dicks, you know, enclosed in a small phallus. Do the same thing. It's like fifteen dicks enclosed <laughs> in a small ovary. I don't know. No, but it, I don't know. This is getting out of proportion. No, it is. But then th- there's, there's, there's an allure to an all all male sort of cl- enclosed location thriller, which I think may- maybe comes back to the allure of a submarine thriller because you have these a giant tube filled with men. <laughs> And then they just they can't leave. They have to sort their shit, and then they have to work together to do this. There's there's an allure in this, and then once they start messing with that, and they they actually expand and then just bring people in from outside, and they can, it just it just creates problems. Like this should be just I don't know these Norwegians. I, I would have taken this if they all they did was speak Norwegian. There's no Americans in here. It would have probably been much better. At least I would yeah. have to read subtitles the whole time. Yeah, and the fact that they bring in the fact that they bring in the Americans, there's you know, there's a comment to be made there too, right? Like it's just in terms of how this is produced. Well, we've got we've got to have the American heroes. And of course they're the ones who live, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So, or at least last till the, the final scene. No, the, so. the two the two Norwegians are that have to survive are the are the ones in the helicopter, right? Right. Well then they come the next day. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, that's that's the sort of issue. It's just well, we need Americans in there because we need the cast to speak English, yeah. and they need to have a reason to speak English. I don't. know, It would have been much more ballsy if they actually remade it. Just do a do a Norwegian remake of the thing uh, this way, and just do it in a Norwegian camp in Norwegian. That would be probably much better. Yeah, probably. Anyway, top threes. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> Did you want to go first? Sure thing. I really enjoy flamethrowers. I think that is one of the things you see a lot of in the 1980s in TV and in film. And it's something we just haven't had enough of on film since 2000. But in the 80s, everything was flamethrowers. This has flamethrowers. I think flamethrowers are really cool. And there's any one of a number of things actually now that I think about it um, that I thought growing up in the eighties, uh, I would be a bigger part of my life. Like flamethrowers, uh, flamethrowers. I thought, well, that's good. God, they're in everything I see. So they're going to be part of my life or construction equipment. So we got bulldozers here. So that, that makes sense. And we had bulldozers in the 1981 and, um, quicksand would be another one. There's no quicksand here, but that was something that was <laughs> all over the place in the eighties. I, I thought was... that was. When I was, I was seven, a, I thought the quicksand <laughs> would be a much bigger problem in my life. I completely thought that I would be dealing with quicksand in my adult life, you know, and sinkholes and all these types of, and cars going over jumps. I thought that was going to be a thing, but didn't really happen that way. So anyway, flamethrowers, there are flamethrowers here and they look cool. Um, what else? The first appearance of the alien I, I like here. So, um, Adwale, when, when it just Adwale. jumps out of the ice, like in yes, Independence but, Day style. Yes, but then then they break into teams and they're looking for it. And when they track it down and it's it's under the risers of a shed, I think all that is handled uh, nicely. The special effects there look pretty good. You can't really see what's going on because it's in the shadow, uh, but you sort of get glimpses of the tentacles and uh you know the the victim's feet i i really like that scene i think that's that's pretty cool and it's it's working in the same way that some of the stuff from the original worked. it's it's in shadows it's hidden you don't really see it uh too much 
Um, and I like, there's one creature effect that I quite like, and it's when the woman becomes the thing and then she sort of morphs and the thing's, the, the thing's mouth is the woman's belly and her head is sort of cracked backwards. So her head is now some weird vestigial organ and the head is tilted looking at Joel Edgerton and uh, Winstead. And it's got this really eerie look. I sort of like that. That was sort of icky in a very good way. So those are my top three. Nice and quick. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what's your top three? Do you have three? I do, actually. I do. <laughs> I was just <laughs> reading them. So many of them are just with the same thing, just repeated multiple times. Um, number three, the severed hand thing. So there's like a hand that gets cut. And it turns into this like walking creature. It looks like a face hugger and like attaches itself to a person's face. Very nasty stuff. I like that. Um, there's another autopsy scene. Practical effects, thankfully, this time around. That's also very good. I like that. I guess I just have a soft spot for autopsies. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just, I don't know. It's the practicality of it. It's the organism. It's just the living that becomes just some, I don't know. Um but my favorite part, and easily the most disturbing effect in this film, is when the alien is attaching itself to another person. It's like mm. the, it's it's the burnt body that they find in the 1982 film. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the two faces just slowly blending into one. That's just upsetting <laughs> in the yeah. best possible way. Um, I do. I, horrible, I do enjoy it horrible. though. I know, yeah, no, it's 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 the yeah. best part of them. I was just watching it, just cringing myself, like <laughs> just squirming. Um, I love that. Just in general, I think the designs in general are pretty good, even though they are very similar to like the Resident Evil games, mm. which which just it's like Resident Evil Five and Six have creatures that's kind of like you know the whole that you mentioned, Randy, like the bodies split open. And there's mm-hmm. kind of some of those monsters in those games. Um, but you, like, again, it's the chicken and the eggs. Like, the cycle keeps repeating itself of influences. But anyway, those are my top three moments. Okay. So, my, my top... Okay. Honorable mention for the... Uh, because for, for the person being absorbed. Uh, because... As it happens, you have no idea what the hell's going on. It's like, what is this alien trying to do to it? <laughs> and then we realize, oh, okay, well, this is how... I, I like the idea. This is, It's clever. Of these, it's, a, it's a clever fan fiction attempt. It's just like, look at this charred body and say, like, how did it happen? It's kind of like, it's well, it's a bit more involved than just an axe through the door, right? <laughs> and I kind of liked, liked how she, she says to him, it's like, don't touch the axe. I'm like, why? I mean... The answer is, it has blood on it. You're going to become the thing. Oh, he's already the thing. It doesn't matter. But the answer is like, we need it for the original. Right? <laughs> so don't touch the axe. It's there. Sorry. But the, okay. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go a bit off-piste with this. And it's like, because it's very difficult to find really good moments. So there's, there's one that I really like. I, I, wait, I like when people tell jokes. They're not exactly funny, but they're they're old jokes, and I really like them when they when they say them in in foreign languages. There's also the, when the Norwegians tell a joke about this boy kind of walking in on the, on his parents banging, and then he goes and fucks the grandma. It's like no, 
it's not funny when it's your mom, eh? This is <laughs> it's all in Norwegian. I knew, I knew you were gonna pick that. It's just great. I, I like humor in other languages. Also, on the <laughs> on the humor note, when it's a very subtle line, it doesn't. Re- it it lasts for a second, but I think it's it's a deliberate joke because it takes in 1982, and then just Joel Edgerton just leans back in a helicopter and goes like. Uh, can you tell me how the Cavaliers are doing? And she goes, oh, I don't follow football. It's a basketball team. And then the, <laughs> the joke being, it's like, why are you interested in Ke- Cleveland Cavaliers in 1982? They're shit. And the f- fact is that at the time they were making this film in 2011, they were already, I think, champ- champions, right? So, so, so it's kind of like, tables have turned a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a fun little nod. I don't know. Like uh, The best scene, though, it's an actual scene, is the moment where um, Mary Elizabeth Winston is on the spaceship, and she hides in the duct, and then she, f- and then the, the alien just goes like, and then he hides, and she goes like, oh, there's a grenade in there, it's a grenade, I really need to go and see it, and then you're like, fucking, there's this thing is right the corner, and she just leans out, and this is a a genuinely suspenseful moment with a jump scare as well, but I'm like just sitting there like, please don't, don't, don't go, I don't want this. So it's it, yeah, it it, it works for me. Bottoms, that would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. I'll I'll start. I'll go with. Um, there was one. There's a moment whenever um, Agbaje is going to check out the block of ice and the alien that's encased in it and give it a good look, and some guy comes up behind him and goes, "Boo!" That was yep. Just for the chump scare. That is just so cheap. And I think brutal. I said to the TV, "Fuck you, guy." Like, really- yeah. <laughs> I just hate, hated that moment. Hated that the, the the film would would stoop to to that. Very much um, so. Yeah. The ending, the the whole spaceship thing, the fact that we're really diving into the spaceship. I I. I hate that. I find it's unnecessarily unnecessary. We've got this uh, weird Tetris digital effect in it that that's, does nothing, showing too much, brutal. Um, also on the ship, there is one effect which really bothered me. I thought it looked really bad and it's like the, the thing is um, approaching Winstead and there's a human head on the creature's abdomen. That doesn't look good. It doesn't look right. It's awkward. And also there's this whole idea of it's fairly well lit and I'm seeing more of this thing now. And the filmmakers are making a choice to show me more and more and more of this. And it's working less and less and less as the, as the film goes on. My top is this, the cast aside from two or three of them, (laughs) aside from two or three, they are, faces but i don't know them and i i wrote this note and you were talking about it earlier they're gns generic norwegians <laughs> GNs. who is lars don't know who the hell is lars um where's clark don't know don't know who's clark don't... it turns out lars is oh important because he yeah. <laughs> peter's oh. dead Peter, Peter, is that the guy that just died, or was that someone else from earlier? Was Peter no the guy who doesn't idea. speak English at all, or is this the one who actually barely I speaks it? I think he was the one who did not speak English. Oh, so yeah. it was just, oh, he, tell Peter. And they just like repeat, it, repeat to Peter, and he's just like, I got it the first time, because I may not speak English, I can't understand it at all. Yeah, so, you know, you've got this cast, and two or three of them I can associate with, 
and the rest of them. And we, we learned from the 1982 one, they do not have to have full character arcs, but they need to be distinct enough to tell them apart, to latch on to their role in some fashion so that they're not just strictly disposable. Uh, that, that sort of bothered me throughout. Wow, we now Nick, give us your bottom seventeen. No, 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 I'll, I'll keep it to three. Uh, because to be fair, it was actually hard. Like you said, it's hard to pick moments because there's not like specific moments that are just bad per se. But definitely the transformation in the helicopter, the CGI is horrendous. There, it's like the face is falling apart, but it doesn't look convincing in any way. Um, you mentioned the the cheap jump scares in general. That's kind of like a dishonorable mention. But I really, really didn't like the sound mixing in this. The original film has very, very even sound mixing, and there's a lot of emphasis in the sound. But but this is so loud. <laughs> this is going so much for the jump scares of like, ah, oh, everything's so loud. And whenever the thing is on screen, it's deafening. I was watching it with headphones. It was deafening. I had to constantly turn the volume down because it was killing my ears. Um, but lastly, I hated the climax just in general for everything you said, Randy. The the spaceship, a bit of backstory you don't need. The setting doesn't work. The Tetris effect doesn't work. The creature is too big. It does try to recreate the whole like oh Ripley fighting the alien thing. Ugh. Just. Ripley fighting a big teethy vagina. Yeah, it's just it's just a mess. It's just too much going on. The model's not and even interesting, is it? No, to be honest, no. I'm not even the biggest fan of the final form of the creature in the original. But it's such a quick encounter. It's kind of like, ah, fair enough. It's like, ah, oh, fuck you too. Done. We're done. <laughs> There's no like jumping and running and being thrown away and throwing the grenade into its mouth. Ah. No one cares. That's it. How about you, Jakub? Oh, I've got, I've got only three, but there's nice. so many to choose from. <laughs> so I'm not going to repeat any of these because I I agree with all of this. So, no headsets in the chopper as they're having a conversation. Like it's clearly just like have you seen the predators just <laughs> when they're trying to talk to another and just just scream at you know like. <laughs> Jesse Ventura or whatever. So they're just having random conversations. Only the pilots have headsets because they need the radio for them. But now they can just lean for, lean backwards. It's just like, how are the Cavaliers doing? I don't follow football. <sighs> no, she puts on the headphones. Now she she doesn't put them on earlier. Yeah. And then when but, she has to talk with Joel Edgerton, she does. Yeah, but then they're just sitting there. Like even <laughs> even when the guy who does the, the face split is just like, why doesn't he have headphones on? Oh, he's the thing. His his hearing's probably amazing. I don't it's know. Soundproof. It's a soundproof helicopter. Also, not a not a fan. That's just a dishonorable mention. Not a fan that the the sound they use for the beacon is sounds eerily similar to the one in uh, sunshine. Sunshine. I'm not sure. I might as well just find it and splice it. I don't know. I probably won't because uh, I'm lazy. Anyway, when Kate falls through the cracks. In the spaceship, like the Venetian blinds, you know, and she screams as though she's she was falling like until like until the center of the earth, like like she's she dead? No, <laughs> just, no, no, she just fell. No. <laughs> Didn't even Six break. Feet. Her leg. 
Yeah, six and feet. That, and she just probably fell. Or probably like, fell. <laughs> She's lying on the floor. <laughs> did you guys not get the sensation that, that the beat in that scene was just meant to mimic the beat in the original where the thing was coming up through the floorboards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it just... It just felt like that was just a, a recreation that was just not needed. That wasn't an homage. It was just sort of a weird moment. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Okay, but the the last one, and this is something that bothers me because it's a linguistic issue. And I'm not a native speaker, so you have to bear in mind. So I had to take the time out of my busy schedule when I was a young, younger, young lad and learn this stupid language. When Joel Edgerton says. It has nowhere to go. Kate says, yes, it does. What? <laughs> like, it has nowhere to go. Yes, it does. Yes, it does have nowhere to go. That means we're fine. We can sit down then. Or it, it should be added. It has nowhere to go. No, it doesn't. It has somewhere to go. <laughs> Logically makes no sense. I just said, I did, I did rewrite the line and have Joel Edgerton says, it doesn't have anywhere to go. Yes, it does. Like, like one of these lines is fucked. <laughs> too expensive, man. Yeah, this is too expensive. Like there, there, there was money in there to go and just rejig the special effects, and then also probably they ran out of budget at that time because they were like the uh, VFX house said to them, like this is how much it's gonna take to put shadows on these fucking things, and they were like, how much again? Well, you know what? <laughs> Keep the shadows. <laughs> we don't need the shadows it's it's dark anyway who's gonna care but they didn't have the time to uh pay the writer a hundred bucks to rewrite the line or i, I don't know a thousand bucks to reread the script and, and fix logical issues because this is this, this is like basic english sort of like it it's it has nowhere to go yes it does oh great thanks it has nowhere to go makes no sense bad english and he, and they're and they're the two Americans. It's not like oh they're Norwegians. They're excused because they don't know what they're. You know they may not be best at at syntax and grammar. No, no, these are Americans born and bred, and one of one of them's from Cleveland apparently. So, or he's the. I know I know he's the thing. So he doesn't know how to. I don't know. It's such a it's such a mess. I I I heard this line. I had to rewind it and re-listen to it again because I was just I was livid. <laughs> so that's it that's the apex of your complaints <laughs> oh can God. I just put the cherry on top of on this garbage pile yeah this the thing 2011 appeared on three different watch module lists two of them are top 10 horror movie prequels from 2018 and it's at number 10 from 2018 and then the, the video is from 2018 oh. And then they also made a video in 2020, top 10 worst sci-fi movie prequels. And it's a number nine. Nice. <laughs> oh. Anyway, the thing from 2011. You know, don't watch it. Like, that's just, it's just... But if you really have to, you can rent or stream it wherever, wherever you want. Buy it on Blu-ray if you need to. And if you really want to, stick it to John Carpenter. You can, prob you can probably still find the two-pack of the original and this <laughs> in a Blu-ray case, which I feel is an abomination. This is like the sort of the creature who goes like <clears throat> face to face. 
and and there's probably a dildo somewhere in there. It's just it's unsavory. It's it's it should it should not be allowed. It's not good. So yeah, but you can watch it if you really play if you really want to. Anyway, socials. We've done this. Where can we find everyone? Randy, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find some of the stuff that I write on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. Nick? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nickgran 97 And there you can find my link tree, link tree forward slash enjoy the movies with links to my YouTube, Vimeo, Letterboxd, all that good stuff. And be sure to check out the Death Adaptation podcast. We are releasing a new episode where the good Jakub joined us to talk about No Country for Old Men. No, there's no country for old men. <laughs> no country for old things. No country for old men. Um, yeah, and you can find me, Talk About Film on Twitter, Yakov Flash Letterboxd. You can find me on flashonfilm.com, Clapper as well. Follow the show and at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. <clears throat> Uncutgemspodcast.com is our headquarters where you can find all our previous episodes links to all the major platforms and where you can listen to us and then find out what's going on our Patreon which is also patreon.com slash uncutgemspod three bucks a month gets you extra podcasts mini retrospectives bonus tie-ins this month we're, we're doing the, the tie-in is the thing the actual the thing the original the one and only the thing by john carpenter so and also happens to be free so go and listen if you're not subscribed and then subscribe because there's more podcasts like this which are all fun and games so uncut gems pod patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is the place you want to go also if you want to support the show in a different way you can buy us a coffee ko-fi.com slash uncut gems pod so that's ko-fi.com slash uncut gems pod where you can buy us a coffee if you don't feel like spending money because the cost of living crisis is is getting to you we appreciate that so if you just can just leave us a review and a rating somewhere where you listen to your podcast it will be massively amazing so if if you're on apple Podcasts, leave us a rating leave us a review spotify same deal good post i don't know i don't know where else but you know the deal anyway that's it that's us for today we've done it we've done we've we've tried to talk about the thing from 2011 and next week, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are talk- we're we're going to be officially closing the, the sort of the Shapeshifters and Body Snatchers marathon by talking about the 1987 film titled The Hidden. Um, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, I hope you have a fabulous day. And we'll see you, all three of us, next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>